on Paleolithic politics. Prehistoric life involved a lot of napping. In his provocative essay, The Original Affluent Society, Salens notes that among foraging people, the food quest is so successful that half the time the people do not seem to know what to do with themselves. Even Australian Aborigines living in apparently unforgiving and empty country had no trouble finding enough to eat, as well as sleeping about three hours per afternoon in addition to a full night's rest. Richard Lee's research with Kung San Bushman of the Kalahari Desert in Botswana indicates that they spend only about 15 hours per week getting food. A woman gathers on one day enough food to feed her family for three days and spends the rest of her time resting in camp doing embroidery, visiting other camps, or entertaining visitors from other camps. For each day at home, kitchen routines such as cooking, nut cracking, collecting firewood, and fetching water occupy one to three hours of our time. This rhythm of steady work and steady leisure is maintained throughout the year. Unquote. A day or two of light work followed by a day or two off. How's that sound? Because food is found in the surrounding environment, no one can control another's access to life's necessities in hunter-gatherer society. Harris explains that in this context, quote, egalitarianism is firmly rooted in the openness of resources, the simplicity of the tools of production, the lack of non-transportable property, and the labile structure of the band, unquote. When you can't block people's access to food and shelter, you can't stop them from leaving. How can you control them? The ubiquitous political egalitarianism of foraging people is rooted in this simple reality. Having no coercive power, Leaders are simply those who are followed, individuals who have earned the respect of their companions. Such leaders do not, cannot, demand anyone's obedience. This insight is not breaking news. In his lectures in Jurisprudence, which was published in posthumously in 1896, Adam Smith wrote, in a nation of hunters, there is properly no government at all. They have agreed among themselves to keep together for their mutual safety, but they have no authority one over another. Unquote. It's not surprising that conservative evolutionary psychologists have found foragers' insistence on sharing to be one of their most difficult nuts to crack. Even the iconic status of Dawkins' book, The Selfish Gene, 
and the popularized status quo protective notion of the all-against-all struggle for survival. The quest to explain why foraging people are so maddeningly generous to one another has occupied dozens of authors. In The Origins of Virtue, science writer Matt Ridley summarizes the inherent contradiction they face. Quote, Our minds have been built by selfish genes, but they've been built to be social, trustworthy, and cooperative. Unquote. One must walk with a tight rope to insist that selfishness is and always has been the principal engine of human evolution, even in the face of copious data trends demonstrating that human social organization was founded upon an impulse for sharing for many millennia. Of course, this conflict would evaporate if proponents of the always selfish, always selfish theory of human nature accepted contextual limits to their argument. In other words, in a zero-sum context like that of modern capitalist societies where we live among strangers, it makes sense, on some levels, for individuals to look out for themselves. But in other contexts, human behavior is characterized by an equal instinct toward generosity and justice. Even if many of his followers prefer to ignore the subtleties of his arguments, Dawkins himself appreciates them fully, writing, quote, Much of animal nature is indeed altruistic, cooperative and even attended by benevolent subjective emotions. Altruism at the level of the individual organism can be a means by which the underlying genes maximize their self-interest. Despite famously inventing the concept of the selfish gene, Dawkins sees group cooperation as a way to advance an individual's agenda, thereby advancing each individual's genetic interests. Why, then, are so many of his admirers unwilling to entertain the notion that cooperation among human beings and other animals may be every bit as natural and effective as short-sighted selfishness? Non-human primates offer intriguing evidence of the soft power of peace. And not just horny bonobos, either. Franz de Waal and Janice Johanswicks devised an experiment to see what would happen when two different macaque species were placed together for five months. Rhesus monkeys, Macaca mulata, are aggressive and violent, while stumptails, Macaca arctoides, are known for their more chilled-out approach to life. The stumptails, for example, make up after conflict by gripping each other's hips, whereas reconciliations are rarely witnessed among rhesus monkeys. Once the two species are placed together, however, the scientists saw that the more peaceful, conciliatory behavior of the stumptails dominated the more aggressive rhesus attitudes. Gradually, the rhesus monkeys relaxed. As DeWall recounts, quote, Juveniles of the two species played together, 
groomed together and slept in large mixed huddles. Most importantly, the rhesus monkeys developed peacemaking skills on a par with those of their tolerant group mates. Unquote. Even when the experiment concluded, the two species were once again housed only with their own kind. The rhesus monkeys were still three times more likely to reconcile after conflict and groom their rivals. A fluke? Neuroscientist primatologist Robert Sapolsky has spent decades observing a group of baboons in Kenya, starting when he was a student in 1978. In the mid-1980s, a significant proportion of adult males in the group abruptly died of tuberculosis they'd picked up from infected food in a dump outside a tourist motel, hotel. But the prized, albeit infected, dump food had been eaten only by the most belligerent baboons who had been driven away less aggressive ma- by l- who had driven away less aggressive males, females or juveniles. Justice with all the hard ass males gone, the laid back survivors were in charge. The defenseless troops was a tragedy ready made for pirates. A whole troop of females, sub-adults, and easily cowed males just waiting for some neighboring tough guys to waltz in and start raping and pillaging. Because male baboons leave their natal troop at adolescence, we're going to come back to that.